Looking to fast forward your practice goals? Commonwealth Financial Network can help you evolve your business by providing entrepreneurial capital, affiliation flexibility, and tailored business strategies. Everything you need to put your practice into the fast lane. Welcome to a better path to success. Welcome to Commonwealth. To learn more, visit Commonwealth.com. Commonwealth Financial Network is a member of FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Hi, I'm Suzanne Syracuse. Welcome to my podcast, Focused on the Future, Keys to Building a Profitable, Sustainable, and Impactful Business. And I'm excited to be partnering with WealthManagement.com on this. The series will focus on what firms need to embrace to ensure their growth and success for the future. And you'll hear from industry leaders and advisors on what is working for them. The content is directed at firms that are already successful and looking to stay that way, and also for those who are focused on taking their firms to that next level. I have a great lineup of guests in store, and today I'm talking with Kaylin Mayhew. Kaylin is the president of Merit Financial Advisors, a national wealth management firm with close to $9 billion in assets, over 200 team members, and whose business model supports advisors affiliated with independent broker-dealers, as well as those who are registered investment advisors. Well, welcome, Kaylin. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm really uh, looking forward to speaking with you. Oh, Suzanne, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this as well. Great. Well, I have a lot of questions for you, so uh, let's get ready. Um, All right. (laughs) So as I mentioned, this podcast touches on what it takes for firms and advisors to be successful in the future. And one of those ways is to recruit great talent and provide the type of firm culture that is going to want them to stick around and help you grow your firm. As it relates to that, merit has achieved something very special. For seven consecutive years, actually since its inception, Merit has been the recipient of the Best Places to Work in Financial Advice Award. And this award is special as it's derived from feedback and responses directly from your firm's employees. So what is it that you're doing right as a firm that's leading you to receiving this award seven years in a row? Oh, well, Suzanne, I'm so glad that you asked about that because that that happens to be the award that I'm the most proud of. There's lots of different individual awards. We've got advisors on, you know, the top advisor awards and we've got other individual award winners. But this one is truly about the team and the feedback that they give based upon what it's like to to work and grow uh, with merit. And when I get down to the bottom of what I think it is that is is making merit that magnet for great talent as well as the retention, I, I think it comes down to culture. And I think that culture and everybody says culture and you know what does that mean? And I think that it it's what your team experiences in working with the firm and growing with the firm and. When you look at our culture, first off, it starts with the people that you let in. 
you've got to have a really strict screening process. And Suzanne, as you know, we grow a lot through mergers and acquisitions, so non-organically, and we also grow organically. So we've got this hodgepodge of, of, of a team that comes together, and I almost describe it like an arranged marriage on some <laughs> of these things, because a lot of times the founders of the firm have made the choice to partner with Merit, and then you've got these team members that are just along for the ride. And we are so particular on the firms that we partner with. We're also really, really particular with the people that we recruit. Um, we spend a lot of time with the individuals. Um, I think it's almost better to tell a story around what's what we're not looking for versus what we are looking for. Um, Cause I think you could hit all of the things like humble team player. I, and I think everybody would probably say, yep, I'm there, but I'll share with you one story. We, we had a acquisition opportunity that um, had gotten really far along in the process. And um, we were all excited about the opportunity. It was a new geography for merit. Um, the, the team on paper looked really, really strong with some next-gen talent. And we had the founder and a couple of the advisors come visit our office. Again, we're, we're long in the process. And I started asking some questions of the other advisors. And it was really interesting because the founder wouldn't let them speak and would answer these questions for them. And I'm like, well, this is really, really interesting. We were looking at this individual for a leadership position. And when you look at what were um, foundationally built on, it's a um, servant mentality. As far as our leadership, really, we exist to serve the advisors and the teams that are supporting them, just as our advisors and the teams that are supporting them exist to serve their clients well. So when you look at that as your determining factor, it's really important to have folks that have that same mentality. We're not looking for the dictatorship type leadership. We're looking for collaboration. We're looking for team players. We're looking for folks that have that, that overall attitude of helping grow others to grow themselves. And I also yeah. think that one thing that's unique, there's a book out there called Radical Candor, and I'd recommend it for everyone. If you haven't read it, I can actually probably fast forward and just give you the party line on the book. It really is having that open line of communication and saying what you think. I think that there's cultures that exist out there where people, maybe they're not direct when they should be. Maybe it's not a culture of feedback. Maybe it's not a culture of um, one of our core values is Kaizen as far as constant, never-ending improvement. Um, so I think that that really adds to the culture when you know that you can trust your fellow teammates to give you the good and the bad, and that we all have a goal of bettering ourselves and helping others better. So I think that those are the things that when you get down to the core, of course, you need to have the basic hygiene, like great benefits and, and, and as flexible schedules as you can and good compensation, all of those things. But I think true happiness comes down to that culture piece. Yeah, you know, so much uh, great insight that you just shared. The I was I was taking notes as you were talking, like collaboration, candid, 
communication, culture, right? The, these C words, right? That are critical to, to really having a, an effective team and a team that wants to actually help the firm get better and be better. And so, so many of those insights, I think a lot of the listeners will be able to also see it within their own firms if they have that. I think that's so, so important. And I'm glad that you mentioned the, you know, when you're acquiring a firm, how important a culture match is, because I I think that's like the number one reason deals don't work, right? (laughs) So making sure that everyone is um, got the same mentality. So did you did you step away from that deal? Um, We did. We did. And it was there were so many reasons why this was good for the firm. But because we hold that culture piece at the center of everything, it was really easy for us to to make the decision to walk away. I wish more firms did that, right? <laughs> so many lessons learned from that. So that's uh, those are those are great uh, bits of advice for our listeners. Now, shifting to we just talked about you know your employees and team members, but what key areas are critical to a, a firm achieving success as client demands continue to evolve, and and how are you addressing those demands? Well, you know, the the clients are at the center. So if you are not making the core decisions, and I don't care if that's your technology platform or your hiring funnel um, or your decision-making process on how you're going to grow and what geographies you're going to be in and what that strategy looks like, if they're not at the core, you're going to have some problems on your hands. So we spend a lot of time focused on the client experience. So obviously, the people are front and center. This this is critical for our business. We are not at a place where there's many industries where you're you're dealing with a relationship with a company. Of course, we've got a strong company that's behind all of our advisors, but the people that are front and center with our clients every day, we have to make sure that number one, they're the right people. Um, They're trained well, they're prepared. And we also have to make sure they have the right tools. Um, that could be the support that they have and, and human support. That could be the technology support. I think one of the things that puts us at an advantage over some of the other larger firms out there is the fact that um, Rick uh, Kent, our CEO and founder, and myself, um, we've both been advisors and client-facing for the last 25 years. So wow. we're not sitting in some sweet C-suite position trying to imagine what it would be like to sit across from a client that's um, going through some really exciting things like retirement or some really hard things like divorce or death of a loved one or their spouse. And and, um, even like our new chief compliance officer, he started out in the business as an advisor. So that's a huge advantage as we build out our leadership team. If we can find people that have set in the advisor's shoes, because we can just bring a different perspective to it. Um, the tools that I mentioned, technology has been huge. And I know um, that you're going to want to talk specifically about that. But if the clients aren't experiencing your firm from both a personal standpoint 
and a technology standpoint, you are missing the boat because as we see this generational shift, um, sometimes it's generational shift of control. Um, I'll give you an example. I've stepped in as far as really helping my mom, who's a widow, um, on the, the finances. So I'm not and I'm not the owner of those accounts, but I am as her um, adult child in helping her navigate through that. There's so many folks in that same boat um, that generationally, I've got a busy schedule. If I want to if I want to schedule a meeting with one of my trusted advisors, I love to be able to do that online as an example and not have to wait for the callback or the 18 emails to go back and forth. I love to be able to pull up on my app and get into the different institutions. So we built a Merit Connect app where the clients can engage um, with us through that. Um, so I think that that's really important as well as all of the different services. When I got started in this business, if you could pick some really great mutual funds, you were doing good for your clients, right? <laughs> and now there's this whole world of tax planning and estate planning and charitable planning, divorce planning, um, family meetings, portfolio-based lending. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And so I feel like our industry is evolving and we're trying to be at the front of that industry to listen to the clients on what they need. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The the piece around technology, obviously critical, right? And in, in terms of how you're meeting their demands around how they want to meet with you, the access that they can have to their accounts, all of that. But the service offerings, I feel, is really, really evolving. And you mentioned a bunch of them. And I, uh, I will, I will always um, thank my uh, financial advisor for helping me when, when um, after my father died and, and dealing with issues that really didn't fall under her, you know, kind of job description of what she would help me with, but just helping me with caretaking issues and, you know, assets that didn't fall within her realm of my mom's. And like, you know, she's my advisor for life because of some of those things. Absolutely. And yeah. and the whole generational planning, too, as far as reaching through and helping out the um, kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters, really looking at it as a household relationship, just like you mentioned with your advisor taking on the, the parents. And, and I think we underestimate the responsibility of caring for our um, aging parents. It's something that so many of us are either dealing with now, um, have done dealt with or are going to be dealing with in the future. And um, the advisors that are providing a great service there and and really stretching behind um, beyond what might be in a financial planning (laughs) agreement or a traditional, you know, here are the things that you studied to get your CFP um, and, and just really meeting the clients where they are in their lives. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. It's so so critical, and again, more and more uh, clients are demanding this of their advisor, really wanting it from their advisor, and you know, reaching into the um, the next generation. It really helps ensure that that advisor, you know, keeps the assets with them on the passing of their primary client. So, uh, those that's great tips, Kaylin. Thanks for sharing that. Now, a lot of news headlines have been focused on the success Merit has had in acquiring firms, which has been a major part of your growth strategy, as you alluded to earlier. 
But what about organic growth? What are you doing in that area that you've seen be really successful in attracting new prospects and clients? Yeah. So on the organic growth side, first off, let me just set the stage on how we think about that. Because there's lots of different ways that people can enter the industry. I, you know, going back to 25, 26 years ago, when I was trying to figure out what place in in this world I wanted to enter, I can remember interviewing with some of the insurance folks. I can remember interviewing with the more wirehouses. Um, then you've got the um, larger firms um, on the RIA side, and then you've got the boutique firms. And um, a lot of the focus during those interviews and during my decision-making process was based upon, I can remember a common question, well, how many Christmas cards do you send out? Or how many holiday cards do you send out? Um, what is your, this is going to date me, but what does your Rolodex look like? How, how many people are in that, you know, old fashioned thing that sat on your desk? And, and it was all about new business development because the expectation was that it was on the advisor to bring in those clients. And I, at Merit, we have really focused on building an infrastructure to where our advisors can do what they do best. And that is advise clients. And so we take a big load as far as the responsibility on as it relates to organic growth. And when you're going to do that, you need to have lots of different uh, channels that those advisors can plug into. Um, I'll give you a few of the um, examples. Um, One of the first is on digital marketing. Um, I'm going to refer to that as inbound leads. And we have tried a number of different things in that realm. And we have found that it works best when Merit owns that. Um, We've Mm -hmm. tried to outsource it. Um, But these are things like SEO, pay-per-click, social media platforms, like um, using LinkedIn um, for reaching potential clients. That has been a a huge success for us. And we've built out departments to to process that and to help the advisors. Because I think that what we've seen is we've seen an evolution in our business. I'm going to refer to the people that wanted to knock on doors and go kiss babies and hang a shingle as the unicorns. Um, While I know that there's still some unicorns out there, a lot of those unicorns are the founders that are looking for succession plans now, or they're they're looking to do less of the work that it took to obtain that client referral or get that new prospect in the conference room. Um, so I, I think that you know digital marketing is definitely help with that. We've got a CPA Connect program where we partner with CPAs. It's a revenue share arrangement where the mm. CPAs get to share in the revenue that comes from the financial services, everything's disclosed um, to the client and the CPAs can get really excited about partnering with the right advisor when they know that that advisor is working um, in step with them on uh, as a trusted advisor and not a salesperson just trying to put their client in you know some investment or risk management product. Um, so that's been huge. We also have client development managers. We refer to them um, internally as CDMs. And think of these folks as 
your outside sales folks. They're out there putting together events and they're out there breaking into to markets that we want to get into, whether that be the Fortune 500 company down the street where we're wanting to work with more of those executives, or maybe it's a, a niche market like we've got several advisors that focus on working with women going through transitions like um, divorce or a death of their spouse. And so those CDMs play a critical role in helping the advisors get those um, qualified initials, those appointments with those potential prospects to explain, hey, this is how you might benefit from from working with marriage. And so organic growth is a huge focus of the firm, and we put a ton of resources behind it. Yeah, it sounds like it. And um, those are great examples. I would think that, um, and you have several niches that you specialize in at Merit. I would think that's an easier way to market when you do have a niche because it gives you a built-in kind of target audience versus when you're a generalist, it's really hard to a message that out, but also have a distribution plan that is that is very, very targeted on the type of people that you'd want to have um, be, you know, be potential clients. I would agree with that, Suzanne. One of the interesting things about our business is there's no absolute right way to do it. And so in my role, I've had the privilege of sitting down with so many entrepreneurs and successful business owners in this business. I have found the ones that have a true story behind the market in which they serve. It can just grow like wildfire. It can be a beautiful thing that just spreads once you know exactly the client that you're wanting to serve and you build your service model around that. It's great. Great ideas, great food for thought. Everybody is always uh, curious about business development strategies. So thanks for sharing some of the things that you're doing at Merit. Now, um, you're one of the few women in the C-suite at a financial advisory firm, and Merit has over 50% female employees. Again, another rarity. Whether you like it or not, you're a role model to many women in our profession, Kaylin. So (laughs) what are your top pieces of advice for them? And what advice do you have for firm leaders, male or female, on attracting women to their firms? Well, um, Suzanne, I think that this is, it's interesting because in the decades that I've been going to conferences, it doesn't seem like things are changing. I feel like as an industry, we're, we're just, we're not really growing our diversity in the way that our population looks. And we might be exchanging to where we might recruit some female talent from another firm. But I think as an industry, we're not really growing that bottom line. And so as it relates to the females that I have the privilege of working closely with, I think the first thing that I try to hone in on is it's an advantage. It's not a disadvantage. I've always viewed it as an advantage, especially when I was client facing. It gave such a, such an avenue into asking questions differently, um, including the, and I'm going to stereotype here, but including the non-financial spouse in the process and the meetings. I've actually always required that to be, um, a part of the process to where it wasn't an option for only one spouse to be a part of the financial planning process. And, and I think it just can put folks at ease that may be highly into 
intimidated about walking into the fancy office and and sitting in the boardroom and talking about money and and it's almost like a foreign language um, to them. So I, I think that that is the first piece of advice that I have. It's about mindset and viewing this as an advantage, not a disadvantage. Um, the second thing that I think is really important is teams. So I have seen all female teams. I've seen a lot of all male teams in the past. And, and I think that we work better as a collaboration. So I know we could get further into diversity and not just talk about males and females, but I'll, I'll stay focused on that because I think we just bring different mindsets. We're made differently um, and we're going to look at things differently. So for example, having a female advisor that's paired with a male financial planner um, in that client relationship can be a really great thing. And so I, I think that team approach to servicing clients, we say that our merit why is to enrich the, um, the lives of the clients that we serve, those that we serve. That includes our team and that includes our clients. And I think that that that's best done in that team approach. You had a good question around what advice I would give to others in our industry that maybe don't have um, women in leadership on their team, or maybe don't have a team that has a solid foundation um, of females in it. Um, I'm going to give you an example, and I challenge everyone, not just the females, um, to do this, but it's to establish your personal boundaries. So we're recording this on a Friday. And on Fridays, I, I've got five kids, three of which are still at home. And on Fridays, my kids know that I pick them up and we go for a sweet treat um, if I'm in town. Well, I, I have set that as a boundary and I have that on my calendar. Everybody respects that. Um, and of course, you might say, well, that's because you're the president of the firm. No, I all of our team members um, have that ability to set those boundaries. So uh, forget work-life balance. It's never going to happen. But I think you set priorities and you hold them so, and you hold yourself to it and you hold everybody else to it. Now, that doesn't that you you might hear that and think like, oh, that's great. Well, I, you know, I was also up at 3 a.m. twice this week for different flights and 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 to get into different cities and be there for meetings. So it's not it it's not that I prioritize and have this rigid schedule to where I'm 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 there all the time for one side or the other. It's just establishing the boundaries that work for you and your family. And as leaders, I think we need to respect that and we need to meet people where they're at and understand the folks that have different life obligations or maybe this is the advisor or the leader that wants to to coach their kids peewee football team and allowing them the flexibility to do it um, kind of circles back up to that best places to work type environment. Um, it but it also, I think, hits women harder. Again, stereotyping, generalizing, but there are a lot of responsibilities that fall on females as it relates to caring for family and caring for just other things in life outside of the workplace. Yeah, I, I was. I just had dinner last night with with a, a male editor in this industry, and he was talking about exactly that: how women still are more often than not the caretakers of their family, of aging parents, of the children. Not in all cases, but in still the majority, and still and still held to sometimes higher, you know, higher performance for at work and 
just how what it what, how that can be a very very difficult position to be in. But the thing that I you said a lot of great stuff there, but I love the point about and you didn't use this term, but I'm going to transparency. Mm. I think, and I found when I was leading a team, if I was transparent that I was taking a day off to go to a spa with my girlfriends or that I was going to participate in something that that of a personal nature. Um, Cause sometimes people look at the leaders of the firm as all they do is work. And if you can be transparent and honest and authentic about, Hey, I'm going to spend time with my mom or with my daughter or with my son and, or I'm, or my friends. And that allows it, them to feel like it's okay for them to do that as times too. Now they'll also see you working very hard, but that transparency, I think really translates well into, um, Hey, it's okay to, to kind of go overboard in some areas, but also take some time off in others. Love that. Agree a hundred percent, Suzanne. Yeah. Um, that's great. So thanks for sharing that. We talked a little bit earlier about technology, but I want to delve into it a little bit more. It's really become front and center to the growth and scalability of many of the most successful firms out there, including yours. So can you talk about your approach to technology at Merit and how that's being leveraged for growth? I know you mentioned a client portal and an app, but what are some of the other things that you're doing around technology? Yeah, so I'm going to go back to the team and their experience because it is critical if you're going to attract and retain some of the young talent, they're going to demand great technology. So we need that technology to be working for us, us not working for the technology. And I think that that's the shift that we've seen over the last I'm going to put it in a shorter time frame, like three to four years, things mm-hmm. like the advancement of workflows, critical. Um, when you have a larger organization, it becomes even more important that when, um, let's say that we've got a client service manager that's going out on maternity leave, and we've got another client service manager that might be two states away that's going to help bridge the gap while they're out. Well, if you're not operating the same. We call it the merit way. I'm sure our team gets so tired of hearing that, but it's so important to drive home that we're not dictating this is the merit way. We're actually getting the teams involved. We've got all of these committees involved in designing these um, specific workflows within our CRM program. Um, Integration is also key. How many people want to enter a new client data three or four times. So if your systems are not talking to each other, your teams are not only going to be operating inefficiently, um, they're also going to get frustrated and you're potentially going to lose some of the best talent because there are firms out there that are making this a priority. So I look at it as Amazon easy. So what does the experience look like to integrate and to work um, with our tech stack and our platform? And if you would have asked me about technology four or five years ago, Suzanne, I would have skirted the issue. I can remember some people asking for demos and I just wanted to crawl under the desk because I didn't (laughs) feel like we had anything. I would have given us like a a D minus as a grade. And so we have invested millions and millions of dollars, um, hundreds Um, if not thousands of um, man and woman hours into this. 
And um, we have an amazing product today that I believe is not only where we need to be today, um, but it's setting us up for the future. Um, so the decisions and the investments that we're making today are where we think the technology needs to be two or three years from now. And just realizing that it's it's never going to be complete. Technology is so fast paced and, and is moving so quickly. It's something that you're just going to have to constantly be evaluating. And it's one of the advantages that I think firms um, like Merit and some of the larger ones have. Um, I go back. So I came into the firm in a transaction back in 2017. And at the time, we were relatively small. I think we had 12 employees plus two partners. There is no way that we could have built out the tech stack in the platform of which we're operating on today. So there is that when you look at that value of scale, I think that that's where, you know, the the larger growing firms are just going to win. Yeah, it's unbelievable when you think about, I remember way back when going to the Schwab Impact Conference and there was like maybe like a row of technology vendors. Now, like I think it's more like 50% of the firms that attend that conference have some kind of a technology tool that they're that they're marketing out. And I do think that um, technology is critical to growth and scale. And if you're a smaller firm, I think that's a that's a challenge, right? Like that's one of the that's one of the hard parts, right, of deciding if you're going to, you know, keep staying independent on your own or a solo practitioner, or if it makes more sense to jo- join forces with another firm that where you guys can pull your resources and and really try and use technology to scale your business. But it's it's shocking how quickly this is all really changed. And I used to, you know, I, I used to say like, you know, the media and all of this was was such a critical part of of um, the industry, the nucleus. We, we, we had a really interesting vantage point. I think technology is the nucleus of everything right now in this industry. So I, um, I couldn't um, agree more. Yeah, really, really fascinating the change. And, and we don't even know what's going to happen next year, right? Because, uh, you know, everything that's happened with AI and continues to happen with AI, and it's a little scary, but that's not going away. That's for sure. So I can't believe it, but we are actually at our last question. It's the question I ask everyone um, at the end of the podcast. With the title and theme of the podcast focused on the future, keys to building a sustainable, profitable, and impactful business in mind, what is your last line? What key takeaway do you want to leave our audience with? Suzanne, I would say um, it's develop your people. If you aren't putting that as your top priority, um, your rock stars are going to find someplace else that will invest in them. So we've got a whole process around that. I would just say don't cut corners. Uh, If any of the listeners today are interested, happy to share our personal development plan, um, as we refer to internally as our PDP. Everyone, including myself, uh, does it on an annual basis. Uh, and we're really, really focused on just continuing to get better and, and to sharpen our skill sets. But I, I would say that that's absolutely the, the one thing and do an honest assessment and then ask your team members. <laughs> Maybe, do you feel like I'm I'm helping you develop would be a great place to start and then ask them to give you some specific examples around that. 
Um, so what does development look like? It can be a mentor-mentee program. Um, there's so many great coaches in this business. Are you teaming them up in a, in a program or are you developing a coaching program internally that really helps them? Licensing. Um, there's so many folks that have uh, that I, they aspire for different designations and the firms just aren't getting behind it because maybe they're scared they're going to lose them if they get that CFA or that CFP. And, and I think that that's looking at things through the lens of scarcity, not abundance. And um, we just have to focus on developing our people. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that, you know, that development piece is so critical in so many employees and team members want that. They just want to be better. They want a mentor. They want a training program. So I think that's a great last line. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I always love speaking with you. And I think you really provided some amazing advice for our listeners on the important role technology plays in being successful in the future, tips for attracting and retaining women to your firm, and organic growth initiatives that really work. And of course, investing in the key critical component of a business, your people. So thank you again. I'm Suzanne Syracuse. Thanks for listening. And I hope this episode leaves you feeling even more excited to be focused on the future. Looking to fast forward your practice goals? Commonwealth Financial Network can help you evolve your business by providing entrepreneurial capital, affiliation flexibility, and tailored business strategies, everything you need to put your practice into the fast lane. Welcome to a better path to success. Welcome to Commonwealth. To learn more, visit Commonwealth.com. Commonwealth Financial Network is a member of FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor.